Good morning. Need to figure this out. Uh, does that change include the time change that we have to deal with twice a year? Uh, how was worship this morning, guys? Did you like that? That was fantastic. I got hit first thing coming in this morning. Sean goes, boy, I, bet, I, I hope your sermon's good because worship's going to be good and you got to bring it up. That's basically it. So I hope I live up to that, Sean. Pressure, no pressure. For those of you who don't know me, I'm, my name is Scott Malevsky. I'm on the deacon board here at Centerpoint. Uh, my wife and I, my family have been coming here for about almost eight years now. Um, so anyway, you can throw that first slide up, Brian. So the title of this message today is, What Test? So how many of you, when you were in school, would walk into class and everybody's studying furiously, and somebody inevitably looks up at you and says, are you ready for the test? And you'd say, I only did that a couple times. But we are in week two of a series based on the book and sermon called The Blessed Life by Pastor Robert Morris. Um, Pastor Craig preached message one last week, and if you haven't listened or watched it at all, I highly encourage you to go find it on our website, centerpointme.org, and uh, definitely go check it out. But some of you might remember that I preached last year, and in, during that message, I mentioned one of these three books, one of which was this one, which had a huge impact on my Christian life. And as I was driving here this morning, I suddenly remembered that when I preached last fall, I actually wore the same sweater. So I think I need to get out of my wardrobe rut and figure that out. So help me remember that next time, hon. Um, now, unlike Pastor Craig and most pastors in general, I, I actually love talking about money. When it comes to God and the church and finances, I love it. I can't talk to people enough about it. And that's because I've witnessed and experienced firsthand in my life how much you can be blessed by giving your finances over to God. Now, I know there's some first-time visitors here who are saying, great, I come to church for the first time, and all I want to talk about is money. But I promise you, bear with me until the end of the message, okay? Just stick with me. How many of you get paid once a month? All right, more, more than I thought. Um, when I worked for Bates College years ago, when my wife and I were first married, I got paid once a month. Nothing helps you budget better than getting paid once a month. How many of you get paid every two weeks or twice a month? Okay. How many once a week? Okay. How many of you never get paid? No, I'm just I'm kidding. Did you know that every time you get paid, you take a test? And you take that test by what you do with that first 10% of your income. Whom are you going to thank? Whom are you going to worship with that income? Some people thank Visa. It's the first check they write. Some people thank the bank for their mortgage or their vehicle or whatever. But the problem here is that Visa or the bank doesn't have the power to bless your finances. But God does, because it's a test of your heart. So we're going to look at two passages of Scripture today. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to these. Malachi chapter 3, last book of the Old Testament. Go straight to Matthew and then go back one. And we're also going to look at 
put a marker in 2 Chronicles chapter 31. And we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. So bear with me. Uh, we're going to go through it fairly quickly. But I want to show you that tithing actually is scriptural. And it is there in God's word. So going to Malachi, starting at verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. That's very important. God does not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances. Notice that word ordinance. And have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Now, this is God talking. This is a God who doesn't change. What does ordinance mean? Ordinance means a principle of ordinary behavior. So this next verse, a preacher didn't make this up. This is God talking. Verse 8, will a man rob God or steal from God? Yet you have robbed me. You've stolen from me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? Again, this is God talking, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that would be the church, again, and try me, that, they may, that there may be food in my house. Again, this would be the church. And try me now in this. The NIV uses the word test. The ESV does as well. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. See how many times he says, says the Lord of hosts. He's reminding us who's talking here. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Verse 11, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. That's a lot of says the Lord of hosts. This is God talking, and this is the God who can never change. We have to remember that. It's very important. Now, the devourer in here, they're talking about crops and first fruits. Those are the insects that would destroy it, or the natural plagues that would come along, or the diseases that would blight the crops. Today, that could be anything from the washing machine breaks down, or the car breaks down, or things like that. And he says, you've gone away from my ordinance, my principle of ordinary behavior. Tithing is an ordinary principle of behavior for God's children to thank God for their income, for their harvest, for their increase. And he says that because you've gone away from my ordinary principles, you are under a curse now. So a lot of people say, well, as Christians now, we can't be under a curse. You know, Christ bore the curse of the law on the cross. And yes, he did in regards to our salvation. But are you saying now that you can live any way you want and it doesn't affect you? If we steal, there are consequences. A curse is a consequence. So what do we steal from God? And a lot of people say, well, God owns it all. Well, yes, he does, but he gives us stewardship over it. He reserves 10% for himself. 
That's why he says you've stolen it. He says, I've set it apart for the house of God. So if we keep that, we're stealing it. And this word is also used in Joshua chapter 6 and 7 when it talks about Achan. I highly encourage you to go look that up. That's a whole other sermon for another time. When they took the tithe that they were supposed to bring, God said, Israel has stolen it. Now, I didn't make these words up. They're right there in the Bible. And these are strong words because God says, you've stolen from me. And because of that, we're under a curse. And I don't want you under a curse. But you're voluntarily placing yourself under a curse because we're going away from the principles of ordinary behavior. So I'm going to go off on a tangent here about the Old Testament. One of the biggest reasons that people say they don't tithe is because of this passage is in the Old Testament, not the New Testament. It's not under grace. That's the law. It doesn't apply anymore. To me, that's like saying, I won't pay attention to anything in the Bible except the red letters. Okay? Don't forget about Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. He also talked about tithing in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbled himself will be exalted. So, what is God trying to get at here? There are three points that I want to go over today. The first one is tithing is a test. God is testing our hearts. Even when a person argues about tithing, it's hard not to wonder, what's the spirit behind this? Why would this person argue with God when God gave his son for you and you won't give him 10%? It's a test of our hearts. So why did God choose 10%? Tithe is a Hebrew word, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, and it means tenth part or ten percent, and that's where we get this from. He chose a percentage because it's fair to everyone. It's the same whether you earn $20,000 a year or $200,000 a year. It's a penny on every dime. But why ten? It's a good question. Because many times when you see the number ten in the Bible, it represents testing. You'll actually see the word test with it. So let's take a quick test, okay? I'm going to ask a question. You're going to answer back to me with the answer, okay? And we'll do this a couple times. So how many plagues were there in Egypt? Okay. I could have said that a different way. I could have said, how many times did God test Pharaoh's heart? But we're more familiar with the plagues. Here's another one. How many commandments were there? Okay. 
How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? I don't know if you know this, but there's a pattern here. Okay. How many times were Jacob's wages tested or wages changed? Ten. God was testing his heart. How many days was Daniel tested? How many virgins were tested in Matthew chapter 25? How many days of testing are there in Revelation? How many disciples are there? Oh, see, I was just testing you. So tithing is a test. But here's something you may not know. It's a two-way test. This is the only place in Scripture where God actually says, test me. And this word test or try is sometimes translated test or prove, comes from the way you test a metal or test gold to make sure that it's pure. So what God is saying here is, test me to see if I'm pure. He's basically saying, I want you to test me. Or as we used to say when we were kids, I double dog dare you. I want you to test me because I want to open up the windows of heaven. I want to bless you. I want to rebuke the devourer for you, but it all depends on whether or not you're going to thank me and worship me and walk in faith and whether you're going to believe that 90% with God's blessing will go farther than 100% without. And you open up an area of faith when you do this. And tithing, I don't know if you know this, but tithing was before the law, way before the law. We'll get to that in a minute. But the, this argument that it was under the law and I'm under grace now doesn't make sense. There were principles under the law that we should still walk in as believers. Thou shalt not commit adultery was under the law. Are we saying that as a believer that we can walk in adultery and there won't be consequences? In fact, Jesus said we shouldn't even look lustfully at another person. So it was actually a higher standard. Thou shalt not murder was also under the law. So we're, are we saying that because it was wrong under the law that we can now do it and there's no consequences? Of course not. In fact, Jesus said we shouldn't even be angry with another brother. Again, a higher standard. Freedom from the Old Testament law is not a license for Christians to relax their moral standards. Let me say that again. Freedom from the Old Testament law is not a license for Christians to relax their moral standards. As Courtney Morazzo says, there are many practices in the Old Testament that don't make sense to us today, yet many of these ancient ways carry over to the New Testament law of grace as part of Christ's promise to not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, which we just read. For instance, we no longer sacrifice animals, but as believers, we're called to offer up ourselves as a living sacrifice. Men no longer are required to be circumcised, but we all have a circumcision of the heart through the Holy Spirit. How many of us send, send back the many scriptural blessings God has given his people because they're in the Old Testament? How many people, when they're blessed and given hope through the mention of God's works and words through the Old Testament scriptures say, I don't receive this blessing or that blessing or confirmation because they're in the Old Testament? We can't simply discount the Old Testament because it's the Old Testament. Next, point number two, tithing is biblical. Let's get something straight. You're not a bad person if you don't tithe. You're not a rebellious person. 
But some people don't really believe that it's in the Bible. They don't really believe it's for us today. But let's look at some scriptures. Genesis chapter 14, starting at verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, Salem means peace, by the way, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now watch this. And he gave him a tithe of all. Theologically, this is about 450 years before the law. According to the book of Galatians, Melchizedek is a Christ-like figure. Some prominent scholars think he might actually have been Jesus Christ himself, but that's another whole sermon series. But in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 7, it gives particular attention to the fact that Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Genesis chapter 28, verse 22, And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. This is about 400 years before the law. Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Remember that word holy means set apart. God has set it apart for himself. That's the only reason he can say we're stealing it because he set it apart for himself. And if we keep it, we're stealing. So let me ask you a question. If Jesus himself said we should tithe, would we do it? Some of us still have to think about that. Look at Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Pharisees were even tithing down to their spices. It was assumed that tithing was happening. But as Pastor Craig preached about last week, Jesus was pointing out to them the state of their heart. Their motivation was at fault. But that's Jesus who said this. Another argument people say is that, well, my money's only going to the church. It's not really going to God. Look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. So that bold in capital letters, that's me. I did that. Listen, if you put your tithe in the bag or online or at other churches, you do, you put it in a plate, mortal men take care of it, they count it, they manage it, they distribute it, they handle all that. But in heaven, of whom he receives it, of whom it is witnessed, he lives. Jesus Christ receives my tithe. So that makes me want to tithe. And here's point number three. Tithing is a blessing. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 31, the other scripture we wanted to look at. So let me give you a little bit of a backdrop. Hezekiah is one day is reading the scriptures, and he sees these verses about tithing. They're in an economic recession, and he realizes we're not tithing. We're under a curse. 
The whole nation, because they're not tithing, they're stealing from God. So that's where we pick up this story in verse 4. Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. Remember, Malachi said, bring the tithes into the storehouse that they may, may be food in my house. They were talking about natural food, but let's think about this today as spiritual food. I'm going to be pretty blunt here, and I may step on a few toes. When you come to church, do you enjoy the spiritual food that you receive here? Somebody's paying for that. I'm not trying to be offensive, but somebody's paying for the building. Somebody's paying for the staff. Somebody's paying for the utilities. Let's put it another, another way. Would any of you go to a restaurant, eat a nice meal, and then leave without paying the check? Some Christians do that every week. They go to a church, they eat a meal, and then they leave without paying the bill. It's awfully quiet. Here's the sad thing. You're the one that it's hurting. You still love me? <laughs> we'll talk after. I'm up here preaching about tithing, not because the church needs money, not because the staff needs a raise, not because missions are down. I'm here preaching because I know from experience how much a life can be changed when you start returning to God what's his. I promise you, I'm doing this to help you. This will change your life, your family, your marriage, your kids, your grandkids. I promise you, this will change you. So back to Hezekiah. He tells everyone to bring the tithe. Verse 5. As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, and of all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. It's right there showing you the tithe. Verse 6. And the children of Israel and Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, also, the tithe of holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord their God, they laid in heaps. These big heaps, they brought them into the church and laid them down in heaps. And in the third month, they began laying them in heaps, and they finished in the seventh month. This is talking about the harvest. These months relate to the harvest. And when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people, Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned the, the priests and Levites concerning the heaps. And Azariah, the chief priest from the house of Zadok, answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat and have plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people, and what is left is this great abundance. So here's what happens. The king sends out the commandment. We're supposed to be tithing to the house of God. So the people begin doing it in the third month, which is a harvest time, and then there's another harvest in the seventh month. So they continue through that time. But when the king comes to visit and he sees these heaps that the people have been bringing to the house of God, here's in essence what he says. Are the people okay? Do, do they have enough to eat? Because these heaps are huge. 
And the priests say to him, they say, okay, as soon as the people started to do it God's way, he blessed them. What you're seeing here is just the 10%. If you think this is big, you should go look at the, at the other 90. That's what happens when you start obeying God's word. There are always two testimonies when it comes to tithing. Tithers say, we are so blessed. It all changed when we began to tithe. We are so blessed. And non-tithers say, I can't afford to tithe. Listen, you will never be able to afford to tithe until you tithe. Because tithing is what breaks the curse and rebukes the devourer. Every time you try to get ahead, something else will break because of the devourer. Tithing breaks the curse. So I'm going to give one more illustration here, and I'm actually going to pick on my life group guys. I didn't tell them about this ahead of time. So I'm just, I'm just going to name you guys out, okay? So I'm going to give an illustration with three guys. There's uh, Jeff, and then there's Paul, and then there's Noah. So you guys are going to love me. We've got a lot to talk about on Wednesday. So I'm going to go away for a while, just for a little bit. And uh, I've left some funds to provide for my wife, Carlene, and to take care of her. But I want to channel some additional funds through these three guys. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give them each $10,000 a month. Don't get too excited, guys. It's just an illustration. <laughs> $10,000 a month, and I want them to give 10% to Carlene once a month. So I talk to Carlene every day. I'm going to be gone for more than, more than a month. It's going to be three months. So I'm gone for three months, and after three months, I talk to Carlene and I say, so I'm, I'm thinking about these other funds. You know, tell me about these funds. You know, have the guys been sending them? I said, you know, what about, uh, what about Noah? And she says, well, you know, Noah, he sends $1,000 a month, every month, like clockwork. You know, January 1st, February 1st, it's, it's there. It's great. I said, that's great. Well, what about Paul? She says, well, Paul's sending $2,000 a month. Well, I didn't ask him for $2,000 a month. She, I don't know. He's just, he sends it every month. It's right there. Okay, I said, well, what about Jeff? She goes, we gotta talk about Jeff. I said, well, what do you mean? Said, well, the first month he sent $700. Second month he sent 400. And this month he hasn't sent anything. How does that make me feel? I'm the one giving them the money and all I'm asking for is 10% for my wife. They can keep the other 90. So what am I going to do? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to send Jeff any more money. I'm going to take that money and I'm going to send it to the other two because they've proven to me they can be trusted. And Jeff has proven to me he can't be trusted. And if you don't think Jesus has the power to do that, go read the parable of the talents. So I want you to think about this. Jesus said, I'm going away for a while, but I'm coming back. But while I'm gone, I want you to take care of my wife. 10%, you can keep the 90. Is the church the bride of Christ. 
Think about this. Tithing might be more personal to Jesus than you previously thought because it's his wife. Why would he provide and bless people who won't even be concerned about his wife? Tithing is a test, and it's very important that we pass this test. This series is very personal to me because I was where many of you are sitting right now. My giving was fine. I wasn't tithing. I gave. Wasn't that good enough? I knew plenty of people who didn't give. We struggled paying the bills from time to time, but didn't everyone? That's the world's thinking. So my wife and I first saw this series back in 2012, and it was four messages. And after the very first week, my wife and I were so convicted because we weren't tithing. So we went right home after the service and reworked our budget so that we were tithing. That week, I also received an email from a friend telling me about a new potential job opportunity. The second week after the message, we were even more convicted, so we went home and reworked the budget again. But this time, we realized that we had tithed on just the amount that went into our checking account. You know how you have direct deposit and the amount comes in and then you kind of can disperse it from there to other accounts? That's what we were doing. We were just tithing on the one, but we had two other accounts we hadn't accounted for. So we reworked our budget again and corrected that issue. And this time we realized we were going to come up short in our budget by about $187, which at the time was a lot of money for us. So we didn't really know what we were going to do. We didn't know how we were going to make up the shortfall, but we trusted that God was going to take care of it. That week we had a check show up in the mail from our insurance company, a refund. How many people get insurance company refunds? Take a wild guess how much the check was for. In addition, this same week, I had an interview for the job that I had been emailed about the previous week. The third week, I was even more convicted. I was so convicted that the first check we write every month should be for the entire tithe for the entire month. Now, my wife was pretty twitchy. She's the brains, and she's the numbers person of the family. But she went along with it, and we did it. And again, that meant we were, had to write another check, and we were going to come up short. We had no idea where the money was going to come from. But miraculously, the money was in our checking account when we needed it. It just appeared there. We had no idea where it came from. Well, we do know where it came from. But it was there when we needed it. And it wasn't there before. And I received a job offer for the new job. A new job where I could work from home with a 10% pay increase. That was just after three weeks, and we've never looked back. And over the years, we've had weeks where our bills exceeded our ability to pay for them, and we didn't know where the money was going to come from, and God provided them. I know people here in this auditorium that have had stories like that. The money has just arrived, and they have been able to pay their bills. God has taken care of them. So we continue to trust God. So my question to you is, are you going to trust him? I want you to ask the Holy Spirit what he's saying to you. And I want to be clear. Don't you dare feel condemned. I don't want any single person in here to, be, to feel condemned. That's not God. That's the enemy. 
The enemy will bring condemnation. The Holy Spirit will bring conviction, but that will be conviction for your good. I encourage you to talk to people who have had these testimonies because that will only strengthen your faith even more. Sometimes the first step to knowing God more, like we talked about earlier in the service, is for you to take that first step of faith. So, thanks. So, I want to close in prayer. So, if everybody could stand and bow their heads. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to each one of us. And I pray that we have open hearts and open minds to hear what you're saying, Lord. Not for condemnation, but for conviction, Lord. It is a test of faith, and it's a test of our hearts. You see our hearts, Lord, and you know what they are, you know what they were, and you know what they could be. Help whatever you speak to us, Lord, to bring our hearts to the point where we're starting to change, and we can bring our hearts further into that change with your help. I ask for blessings on every single person here this week, and I ask for guidance for our weeks ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.